Father, help us as we study your word. May we be encouraged about your heart for not only our community, but the next generation. In your name, amen. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered uh, uh, who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will, God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until... I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the highest heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again, and you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This is God's word. This week, I got a letter, a correspondence from an old friend from New York City. I lived in New York City for 16 years. And my first year in the city, uh, first year or two, I was in an apartment with some other guys. There were four of us. And one of my apartment mates, my friend, he went to UNC. I went to Duke. The first time he met Becca, she was wearing a Duke sweatshirt. He started trash talking. He was that kind of fan. Not like you, Scott. He also went to Michigan, so okay, he's very obnoxious. 
Anyways. See, we can commiserate together. He sent me this correspondence, and he says in this card that was stuffed, he says, I read your Christmas letter, and I was reflecting with you over the course of your life in this year, and it seems like things are going well. And it reminded me that I neglected to reflect on some things of this past year as well. If you recall, last year in the tournament, Duke and Unity played in the Final Four. And so he commenced to talk about how he failed to remind me that UNC beat Duke in the final four. And so he wanted to commemorate this event by sending photos of Duke students in the stands who were in tears, <laughs> of the Duke players looking despondent as they walked off the court, he, can see, he, can, he, he, he went on to talk about Coach K's last game and on and on and how Duke uh, was spoiled in their last home game when UNC beat them there also and all this photo documentation. <clears throat> and he just said, yeah, I wanted to remember this with you. <laughs> I ran his correspondence and I looked at the photos and I, I immediately thought, you know, there's, he's missed some of the story. You see, because though UNC did beat Duke in the Final Four, UNC lost in the finals to Kansas. And my wife, from her young age, was a KU fan. And so I want to write back to him and remind him of the rest of the story. You see, when we look back at history, or we look back at our lives, or we look back at the year, we could write a narrative of all of the woes, or we could write a narrative of all of the victories. And which one would be correct? They would both be correct. The same is true for the Christian life. And in Scripture, we see that play out. There's times when Scripture refers to us in our woefulness, our brokenness, our lowliness. Psalm 51, for example, is a lament where David is saying, look at me in my sin, Lord, I repent and I turn to you. And it's a reminder for all of us of our brokenness. This is a psalm on the other side of the memory, and it reminds us of a life of faithfulness. This is a man just like you and I, who's a part of the congregation, and he's lived this faithful life with the Lord, and he's calling out to God for help in this moment. And it's this man's life and his plea that God would save him, that he might declare God's goodness to the next generation that becomes the basis for how and why we would want to reach the campus. And so the title today is Generational Faithfulness. Three points or three thoughts here. Generational faithfulness. Number one, faithfulness through life, or you could read that throughout life, faithfulness through life. Number two, faithfulness through suffering. And thirdly, and lastly, how do they culminate? A life, life and suffering redeemed. So faithfulness through life, faithfulness through suffering, life and suffering redeemed. We've been going through this series, and we've been looking at our mission statement, and we can look at that now. TCBC, the reason why we are here is to see campus and community transformed by Christ to renew the world. And we are celebrating here in 2023 our 90th anniversary, 90 years of existence, generational faithfulness 
uh, from God and even the course of the believers who've been a part of his church. The first week, a few weeks ago, we talked about being centered on Jesus, that Jesus is the driver of this mission. He's the one that keeps us on track. Even when we're faithless, he's still faithful to us. The week following, so last week, we talked about holistic transformation. What does it mean to be transformed? Why should we? And it's based on God's mercy. And this week, we're talking about the campus. Why should we reach it? Why should we have church here across the street? Why should we care? What does it have to do with being faithful to the Lord? What does it have to do with the gospel? And so we're going to unpack those thoughts here this morning. Point one, faithfulness through life. When I was growing up, I think uh, my sort of primetime shows that I would prefer were like Knight Rider, uh, MacGyver. You remember that? There was this one that was random, Misfits of Science, I think it was. I'm pretty sure you didn't see that because it didn't stay on for very long. But when I would be watching TV, I would call this period of time in the late 80s where there was a show being promoted called 30-something. Anybody remember that? A couple folks. <laughs> well, maybe you had the same impression that I did if you were alive. Um, I looked at the promotion and was like, oh, I definitely don't want to watch that show. Everybody on that show seems miserable. I mean, the way that it was promoted was 30s is like, okay, you have fallen off the cliff. If you make it to your 30s, your life's over. It's terrible. I mean, in fact, the TV Guide says it was an Emmy-winning chronicle of the angst-ridden lives of 1980s baby boomers in Philadelphia. That just sums it up. There's the angst of being 30-something. And as a kid, I just remember thinking, that seems like old, and I don't want to have anything to do with whatever's going on in that show. Now, of course, in the 1980s, life expectancy here in the U.S. was whatever it was, and it's increased since then significantly. And so, so maybe 30-something felt old then. Maybe now, you know, well, you know, of course, we had the term like 40, you get over the hill. But maybe now 50 is the new 40. Anybody? Any takers? <laughs> All right, well, I'll just tell myself that. But <laughs> nevertheless, at some point we have this view of life as, okay, when are you in your prime? When are you in your prime? I mean, it really depends. Like, okay, if you're a gymnast, if you're in your early 20s, it's game's over, right? You're, it's, you're done. I mean, if you are a ballet dancer, maybe you make it to your late 20s and you're old. If you're a swimmer, it's like your mid, early 30s. Baseball, basketball, unless your name is Tom Brady, you know, it's usually the late 30s. You want to you be done there. And then if you play golf, I guess you could just keep doing that. <laughs> but how does our culture view aging? We have, obviously, in the cosmetic world, all these anti-aging devices. Then there's this whole community out there called transhumanists who are trying to figure out how to extend life by whatever means possible, even using, you know, non, you know, whatever. I don't know, freeze, freeze, just freeze me and then figure it out and then wake me up later sort of thing. 
In the workplace, we have what's called ageism, right? There's a point where you know, technology goes so far, and then if you, you get to feel like if you're getting advanced in your career, am I still going to be a viable resource to my company or in my field? And what does scripture have to say about aging? And furthermore, is our desire to reach the campus just another version of ageism? Is that what it is? Is it just to say that the real important group or the sort of prime time experience is college and therefore we are only about that? Is that what it means? Does it mean that as a church that, you know, because we reach the campus, therefore we would neglect the needs of the community or the needs of those who are post-college or post that age in our congregation? Is that what it means? Well, certainly the answer to those questions would be a resounding no. And what the psalmist here, this faithful worshiper in the congregation, is telling us that there's so much more to it than that. And in, fa- in fact, that wherever you are in your life, God is calling you to be faithful. That to be a believer, to be a follower of God, it means you're always in your prime. And in fact, that the aim of your life is to be faithful throughout life and to recognize that God is faithful to you throughout your life. You see what I mean? He, he refers in verse one, in, Lord, in you, Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. And he's crying out to God in verse three to be his rock. You know, all the language here, he's, God, I want to depend on you. Deliver me, rescue me, be my rock. Verse five, You, Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. This is a man who's advanced in life to some extent, but he has hopes to see his life extend further. And he's reflecting back, God, you've been faithful to me since I was young. I've been a part of your community since I was young. He goes on to say in verse 6, Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. The literal meaning there is that, God, you cut the cord when I was born. You were present in my birth. You were sovereign. You've been faithful to me at every stage of my life. And he goes on and he's, he's, he gets into what his current situation is. And he, in verse 9, he says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. He's saying, God, you've been faithful to me all throughout my life. And Lord, as I age, please be faithful to me. Continue to be faithful. You see, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, wherever you are in life, whatever stage, young or old, the calling is the same, to faithfully serve the Lord. And the experience is the same, that Jesus is faithful to you, that he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He goes on and further says in verse 11, he starts, he's talking about how God, how the others, his enemies in verse 10 and 11, they're saying God's forsaken him. So it's, you can pounce on him. He's vulnerable. In verses 12 through 14, God, don't be far from me. Be near to me, help me, my accusers. Lord, do something, bring justice. 
into this situation. When I was back in New York City and, and doing college ministry there and also a pastor on staff, we were hosting a student conference and an author named Eric McTaxis was our keynote and he got to, you know, it was a really cool experience to have him speak. But one of the things that he talked about is he said, to the, he addressed this crowd of predominantly college students. He said that the quality of your Christian life is not about simply how on fire you are for God right now. He said that, is, will you still be on fire for God in 10 years or 20 years or, Lord willing, 50 years? Will you have a life of faithfulness? Eric McTaxis, he's an author of several books, a New York Times number one bestseller in his, uh, his book, his biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which I happen to read. It's a great book. Um, he's written about William Wilberforce and others in history. 10 years and 20 years, Lord willing, 50 years, will you still be faithful? That's what the psalmist is representing to us, a desire that, God, I want to continue to be faithful to me. You've been faithful to me when I was young. I am currently praising you and trusting you. Lord, be faithful me, faithful to me in my old age. And conversely, Lord, I want to be faithful to you in my old age. The life of my life should be, and I desire to be a life of faithfulness. God is not favoring the old over the young. The accusers that are in the backdrop of whatever this prayer is referring to, whether they be accusers who are inside the community or outside the community, the Gentiles or wherever they may be, we don't know. But they seem to think that something has happened in this man or whoever is this life uh, where God has forsaken him. But God hasn't forsaken him. And he's crying out, Lord, please don't forsake me going forward and deal with my accusers. Faithfulness to God, wherever you are, if you are in your early 20s or if you're an elementary school student, is an opportunity for all of you. It's for, it's for all of us. In fact, if, as I was reading uh, the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there was this critical point where it was in the 1930s, and Hitler had taken control, and war was already brewing, and the state church there, you know, there was a state church in Germany, and so if you were a part of that, there was an expectation you're going to fall in line with Hitler. And he felt this sense of being torn of, I don't agree. This what he's going. I feel it's unethical. So what he decided to do, rather than join the army, is he came to the United States and he went to seminary in New York City at Union Theological. If you know anything about Union Theological, we, my my family and I we live within walking distance of it when we were in New York. Um, it is a, uh, it's not a place you go to find the gospel. I'll just put it that way. It, is, it jettisoned the gospel a long time ago, all, all so long ago that when he went in the 30s, he said, I didn't hear the gospel presented until I went to a church in Harlem and an African-American girl was testifying about God's goodness. You see, God can use you at your youngest age to be a faithful witness. But God can use you at, your, at, your, at the end of your life. I, I, I've been hearing from Larry Berger, Larry and Sue. Sue's 
dad is a pastor in western Kansas and in his 90s, still preaching. The calling is the same, young or old. God is not, dis- he's not discriminating. There's no ageism in the faith. Every age is significant. So the, it, it begs the question, so why, why, why should we reach the campus? Um, we'll get to that. But I want to establish that no matter where you are in your faith, there's a calling on you to be faithful. If you're advanced in your life, you are not over the hill in Christ. You can still be faithful. In fact, none of us ever arrive. Here is a man who has been faithful throughout his life. He says in verse 15, he says, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. We never arrive in Jesus. There is always more to know, and always there's more beyond what we will know. Faithfulness throughout life. Well, secondly, there's faithfulness through suffering. Faithfulness through suffering. I remember, I think it was around the fall of 2009 or at some point around there, um, I was in prayer and I just felt the prompting from the Lord, hey, as a family, you're going to encounter some trials. And sure enough, we did. And we all encounter trials. And I think at that time, you know, I think we, it was like we realized, oh, there's mice running around in our apartment. And then our washing machine broke, I think it was. And we had all this water spilling out. We were cloth diaper folks with our first kid, and so we were relying on that washing machine. And then all these other things just sort of started piling up. Oh, and by the way, I think there was a recession going on. None of us enjoys trials, but we all have them. And for some of you, you maybe going through a trial right now. It could be financial. It could be a health thing. It could be something in your family or some other relationship. And we typically, we get stressed, we get anxious, we get you know, over, over, just overburdened, despairing, despondent. What does God want to reveal about himself in the trial that you're going through? What does he reveal here? You see, because this man, he's looking at the sort of 50,000 foot view of his life. Hey, God, you've been faithful for all of my life. And he's doing this through line of my life. You've been faithful. But he's saying, actually, Lord, but right now I've got something going on and I am I need you to be faithful to me, and I want to be faithful to you. He's got those that are accusing him. And the Christian life is, it's definitely not a life where Christians are going to win all the time, right? It's not a life filled with the, the winds always at your back. I remember this college student at Columbia. He'd recently come to know Christ. He called one of the pastors in our church the night before, I think it was an exam, and he said, oh, I get it now. I actually need to study. <laughs> and uh, they're like, uh, yeah? <laughs> Where did you get the idea that you did it? <laughs> In other words, things don't just become easy just because you serve Jesus. There are still difficulties. You still have to work hard. You still have to endure trials. Well, in verses 4 through 5, He's saying, the psalmist, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope. But he's basing this desire for God to come into this trial 
Because of all the past faithfulness, God has shown. Eight through nine, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of my old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Verse 12, O God, be not far from me. O God, make haste to help me. My accusers, you know, do something about them. Verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. There's this struggle that's going on where he's saying, God, you've been faithful. Now, please come and be faithful to me. And he's enduring the suffering. And he, he, he comes to the point where he says, verse 20, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. That's, that's our hope this morning. And wherever you are, just, you know, pause. Like, whatever your trial is, your hope is, though the Lord has allowed that, he's going to revive you. He's going to bring you through in some way, in some fashion. And we come up on trials and, you know, often maybe, you know, we're like Job, his wife. It's after Job had lost his kids, his possessions, his servants, his wife just says, curse God and, go- and die. Just let it be done. Let it be over. Maybe for some of us, it's like we hit a trial and are like, Lord, I just want this to be done. Or Lord, I'm done. Lord, get my life back to normal. Lord, bring me back into my comforts. But what does the psalmist say? He doesn't say, God, Deal with those who are accusing me so that I can live my life as regular. He goes and he says in verse 18, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. His heart is bent on, God, I want to be able to testify to your goodness. The word there, proclaim, is this strong word. I want to I I preach your good news to the next generation. A hallmark of faithfulness is that you would say, Lord, I don't, I, not only do I want to see you be faithful in my lifetime, I want to see you be faithful in the next generation. I want them to experience your faithfulness. You, you can say, well, 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 why would he say that? Why would anybody say that? Well, he, you see, for this man, whatever point in the history of Israel, he himself is an, he's a product of God's generational faithfulness. God has been faithful to Israel for generation to generation. God is a God of generational faithfulness. He promises Abraham, I'm going to make you um, a blessing to the nations. And what does God do? He gives him one covenant son, Isaac. Just one. Your, your descendants are going to be like the stars and like the sand. One son. Moves on to the next generation, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. God is the God of many generations. And and when God is talking with Abraham and visits Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, he says, I have chosen him, God speaking of Abraham, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised. God chose Abraham that he would pass on to the next generation God's faithfulness, God's word. 400 years later, when Moses is retelling the law to the people in Israel, the second generation in the desert, 
in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses says, to teach your children the ways of the Lord. About a thousand years after that, Malachi, he's, he's um, confronting the people of Israel in their ways, and they were just in part, there's so many things that had gone wrong. This is after they had been exiled and they've come back in the land. And they, among other things, have this rampant divorce going on, this marrying and, and divorcing and remarrying for no reason. And he's rebuking them and he says, God desires a godly offspring. That's why you should be faithful to your wife. Peter, 400 or so years after that, when on the day of Pentecost, gets up in Acts chapter 2 and he says, the promise of the Spirit and of salvation is for you and for your children, the next generation, for many who are far off, all whom the Lord your God will call. And the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, as he's passing on his testimony to Timothy, his disciple, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to also teach others. God is faithful throughout generations. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others, four generations. The next generation. And so lastly, that leads us, leaves us with how, do, how does life and suffering, how are they redeemed? Our last point here. You could say, maybe you could say, you know, I can see how God could be faithful over the course of life, but what, how am I going to be faithful in suffering? Well, or, or, or maybe you feel like, hey, I didn't, I wasn't, I, I wasn't faithful to God when I was young, or I, maybe I'm new in Christ. Well, grace comes to you in knowing that both your life and your suffering, Jesus is redeeming. The, the things that you've gone through, the struggles, the pain, the tears... <sighs> It actually gets redeemed as you pass on the knowledge of God's faithfulness to others. As you pass on, hey, I went through this and I was, when I was your age, but you know what? God got me through that. Or I wrestled with this in my soul for all these years, but God got me through and I pass on to you. He's going to get you through. That's, that's our message to the next generation. That's our message to our kids. That's our message to the, our grandkids. That is our message to the campus. The goodness of God, his faithfulness, his generational faithfulness. The psalmist is saying, look, Lord, look at my life. Look at my whole life. You've been faithful from the beginning. Look at my suffering. I still trust you. Lord, bring me to the place where my life and my suffering are redeemed. And I can share your goodness to the next generation. At the end of this, he goes back to praise in verse 22. I praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. I sing praises with the lyre. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. He's forecasting, God, I know you're going to come through, and I want to praise you for that. Now, I said earlier, you know, we could look at our lives and we can string together the, the good and we say, okay, yes, we've been faithful. We can also look at our lives and we could look at all the woeful moments. You know, Paul the Apostle, he both says, I am the chief of all sinners. And he says, 
you're pure and righteous and holy in God's sight. And both are true. That's part of our story. That's part of the gospel that we live in this now but not yet reality. We are being formed in the image of Jesus, but we are not there yet. And, and, and if, maybe, you're, maybe you're in a place where you're, you can't, I can't place confidence in my faithfulness. I, I feel like I'm just struggling. I feel like I'm letting God down. What do I put confidence in? Well, you see, the reality is that you have one in Jesus Christ who was faithful since his birth to the Lord, faithful throughout his life. And even when the violent men and accusers were surrounding him, he still called out to God, Lord, be faithful to me. Don't forsake me. Yet it was on the cross that God didn't answer that call. Don't forsake me. He forsook him, his son, so that you could be accepted based on what Jesus did for you. And so that all who turn to him can be viewed like this man, a man of faithfulness, based on the righteousness of our Lord. What does all this mean? It means that reaching the campus is not just a good strategy. I gave the pitch. I was I used support for 21 years, and I went out and I told people, here's why I'm going to reach the campus. Here's why I think you should give. And the future leaders are there. Look at all the movements. I mean, the student volunteer movement in the 1800s, think about civil rights movement. Students were there. The sit-in movement, which began 63 years ago on uh, Thursday or Wednesday, that was started by students from A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. You look at Tiananmen Square and the students there, you think about the Arab Spring in the 2010s and what was happening all throughout the Middle East. It was college students, right? And so you could say, well, it's a good strategy to reach students with the gospel. That's true, but it's more than a strategy. I remember at some point in my time in New York in reaching students, I began to be, it's just hearing story after story in New York City, there's, uh, there's so much, there's pressure on every campus, there's a lot of pressure in, in, in the campuses there. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of darkness. I mean, the suicide rates in NYU and Columbia, at least at the time, were very high. And you get close to some of these stories, and it just breaks your heart. And so for me, you know, I felt, Lord, it's the brokenness in the campus. That's, Lord, why I keep going. I started out because of the strategy. Lord, now you've brought me to the place of compassion. But as I look at this passage, it's even deeper than that. The reason why we reach the campus, it's actually rooted in God himself. Because he's so good, his, his goodness is so good, his faithfulness is so faithful, his righteousness extends to the highest heavens, it cannot be fully grasped in one generation. It, it, it requires extending his goodness to the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. And this psalmist saw that, and I hope that you see that too. I hope that we see that as a community. Practically speaking, what do we do? If you're a student or if you're retired or anywhere in between, God's calling you to leave a spiritual legacy. And maybe, you know, maybe you're not even in college yet, and so your spiritual legacy might be to your siblings or might be to somebody younger than you. 
But if you're a student, especially if you're an upperclassman, it's how can I leave a legacy here before I graduate? Whose life can I impact spiritually? And if you're not a student and you're past that age, that's what we all have to offer. It's a spiritual legacy to the campus, to the students. And, and for us, real, in, in, in this context, it's engaging. It's the community and campus engaging with each other, students and non-students engaging with each other, and it's that sharing. And so maybe it's for you just to practically saying, God, maybe you sit here. Lord, help me to connect with folks that sit here. And how can I engage? How can I leave a legacy? Maybe you just, you know, you don't have time to do a lot of things, but you can pray. You can pray for the campus. We sang that song in Spanish about needing to pray for the campus. And actually, this month is the 200th year, 200th year anniversary of the National uh, Collegiate Day of Prayer. And so February 23rd, there's going to be a, a simulcast of some events related to that. We'll put stuff out in our email. But maybe you could just commit to praying for your alma mater, but praying for the U of I and Parkland College over the course of this month, that we would be and of course beyond this month, but that we would be a community that is committed to the campus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your generational faithfulness to us. And Lord, it, we can so often get fixated on our life in its totality and forget what you want to do beyond our lives. May we be a congregation that is faithful and so caught up in worship and in the glory of who you are that we know that we cannot contain within ourselves your goodness, that we must share that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.